0: online family, thanks for tuning into the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Pastor Ryan Gagnon. We're going to be hearing today from Pastor Michael for as he begins our new series, The Test, a study in the book of James. We have prayed about how best to meet our community with the gospel message of Jesus. We believe this digital component is a way of meeting our community here on the web. We hope God uses it to encourage and challenge you. We also encourage you to serve a local church body. Remember, you can't be the church by yourself. A major component of our worship gatherings here in Ocala are our Kid Nation Addresses. Before every sermon, whomever is preaching is tasked with delivering the sermon they will be preaching to the adults, to the kids first. If that isn't hard enough, they are also required to do so in around five minutes, the average child's attention span. We have found this has helped connect our children's ministry to the adult body and provide the adults with a strong illustration to think about before the sermon begins. This past week, Pastor Michael used a mirror and peanut butter to illustrate Jesus' ministry to his people. The idea being when we are confronted with the gospel or the mirror for the sake of the illustration, we see the reality of our situation. Jesus offers to cleanse us of sin, represented by peanut butter in this illustration. I personally think Pastor Michael used it as an excuse to mess with the kids and rub peanut butter all over their faces, but that doesn't take away from the truthfulness of the illustration. Plus, it was really funny to watch. We have sin. Jesus offers the gift of cleanliness from that sin. To go on as if we hadn't seen ourselves in the mirror doesn't make any sense we will learn this morning that God wants to give life to those with genuine faith. Let's listen in together.
1: Um, It is fun though, though, that there are things you can get away with showing the kids things um, that maybe I can't demonstrate in the same way. Um, You know, I don't think any of us are in school anymore, are we? Not in classes, no one taking classes. Hannah's still taking classes. School gets a bad rap um, because of tests. We go and we do these, um, we go to these classes, we learn this information and then they give us a sheet of paper and we have to, you know, put the answers down. Um, I'd like to submit that perhaps those aren't actually tests. For instance, I I happen to know a nurse, right? And this nurse went to school and she studied hard and she got a lot of answers on the tests right. But if you had a tree fall on you this week and you come into into the hospital and you look at this nurse, you know, when your arm fell off, you're not, you don't care what she got on the test. You care that she can put your arm back on. So the test wasn't in school. The test is in the hospital where things actually play out in real life. The, the test is open book oftentimes, sometimes in school, where you can be like, I don't really know what the answer is to that. Let me look it up. Um, if you go into the hospital and the nurse pulls out their reference guide, like, you might just walk across the street to the other hospital. <laughs> no matter how you feel about it. So this morning, we're starting a series called The Test. Um, And and what's that a picture of there, if you can tell? An eye test, right? Now, I used also the, the, what's that chart called? The eye test chart? There's There's a name for that kind of test. And a lot of them are very similar, such that you could easily memorize what the letters are. So if you go and you sit down in the eye doctor's chair, and you've got your glasses on, you look up at the chart, and you like memorize real quick what the letters are. They put that crazy contraption in front of you, or you've got to cover one eye. You can read off, memorize the letters, and pass the test. You can pass the test in the eye doctor's class, but I don't really care if you can do that. I care if you can see me when I'm driving down the road. <laughs> right? The test isn't in the doctor's office. The test isn't in the school. The test is on the street. And that's what we're going to be talking about. That's what we've already been singing about this morning. God, in my living. God, in my breathing. Everywhere I am, what is the test? So we're going to be in the book of James. And if you need a story Bible, we can get you one. And it's on page 851 in that. We're going to be in James chapter 1 this morning. And I'll, I'll be honest, this chapter is heavy for where we are this morning. For the week that we've had, for the literal storms that we've faced this week, for the figurative storms that we've faced this week, and just from our fellowship this morning. like We're in a vulnerable place. And we could read this and go, man, this standard is high, and I'm never going to make it. And God, I came here for encouragement, and you just, I'm crushed. But we're going to follow through it. We're going to hang on to the end. And we're going to see that God wants to give life to those who have genuine faith. So read with me, James. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat in Florida, amen, and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. In these first 11 verses, we see that life has a way of sifting fakery. You know what I mean by sifting? Uh, Like a sieve, a sieve, whatever the pronunciation is, where you shake it out and get the particles to fall down. There's False stuff, there's things that we think we believe, and we try to act like we got it together, and, and life has a way of sifting those things out. We know this implicitly, but when we come to church, sometimes we forget. So what I want to do, because he starts, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. He jumps straight into faith, but we know, I, I, I would just want to take a step back, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, because you know that testing produces steadfastness. In every other instance, you know that testing produces steadfastness. It doesn't matter what grade you get on the test. It's when you get into the real world and try to apply those principles, that's where things are going to get shifted, or going to get sifted. I might know the right answers for something, but if I can't live it out, it's going to show up. We're going to see. If I memorized the eye test, but I can't see the stop sign, life by itself has a way of sifting that out, doesn't it? When you try to see... Like, it's just, that's how life works. It's going to happen. And here's the comfort for us this morning. When we come to God's word, it's not ignorant of how the world works. James starts off with, life is hard. Stuff is going to happen, and it's going to be testing you to see what is genuinely in you. I had a professor at one time that said, "Um, students are like tea bags. You don't know what's in them until you put them in hot water. And life is, this, is the hot water. And it doesn't even have, like, transportation. How do I get from one place to another? That can be a test. Talking to my kids, <laughs> that can be a test. Talking to my parents, that's a test.
0: <laughs> That'll
1: preach. And those things aren't even, like, necessarily spiritual. That's just, you got to live life and life as a way of sifting fakery. And true tests happen on the street. I've made that point, but I want to point out something to you. This is written by James, uh, and he identifies himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. So imagine your sibling is literally perfect. There's a whole dynamic there, right? Where, like, I'm There's conflict here. You're doing all the right things, all the right reasons, and like i got to figure out how I'm supposed to fit with that. And mom's constantly going, well, why can't you be more like a brother? Jesus, right? Even to the fact where when Jesus started his ministry, because he was about 30 years old when he started, so he's 30 years old and then he starts going out and preaching, James and his other brothers and sisters go and find Jesus where he's teaching. Because remember, he's saying, I'm the son of God. And so James goes with his brothers and sisters and says, we got to get this guy out of here. And he's like, God, we, we got to pull him out. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. James is not bought into what Jesus says. And we can understand that. I mean, our sibling relationships, we're always skeptical about what's going on. So if you're doubting, if there's an ounce of doubt that Jesus was who he says he was. Get this. He convinced his half-brother that he was legit. When your half-brother goes off and tells you he's the son of God, like, okay, we need to get him under control. Let's get him home. Let's lock him up. Let's, let's get this taken care of. But when he goes to the cross and he dies and he comes back three days later and says, I am the resurrection and the life, he convinced his brother. And that's who we're reading this morning. Somebody who started out with faith that was skeptical. I'll follow God, but that Jesus guy, man. And now he's saying, I am James. Not the half-brother of Jesus. I am James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus. And he's writing to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. This is actually one of the first letters that was written of the New Testament. And it's after things get hard. The church started in a city called Jerusalem. And they get together, and they're doing, th- and things are going great. There's revival. The spirit is moving. And then the hammer comes down, and they all have to leave. Like, they're kicked out of their homes. So these are people who are living in a place they've never lived before. Their family isn't nearby. They've had to figure out new ways to make money. They've had to understand different social contexts because the Roman culture is just vastly different. These are people who are completely disoriented in their life. It's been a week. The skeptic writes to these people, and he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of
0: various kinds.
1: For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is going to take a while. The testing is going to go on and on and on. Because here's the thing. I can say, I can write down on the piece of paper, Jesus is Lord, he listens to my prayers when I call to him. Like, I can get that right on the the test. But on Tuesday, do I call out to him when things start going bad? That's the test of your faith. How do you respond when the things that you know get put to the test? And that's... True tests happen on the street. If any of you lacks wisdom, in verse 5, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith without doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Here's the thing your tests, the things that challenge you, the thorns in your side can either, you can either say, God, why'd you let this happen to me? I don't want anything to do with you. You're not doing anything for me. Or you can let your tests drive you to God. He's saying, hey, life is gonna be hard. It's gonna get difficult, it's gonna happen. If you don't know what to do, ask God for wisdom. Let your tests drive you decisively to God. Don't go to God and be like, well, God, you know, I got this thing and it's going on and I'm not really sure if you can handle it, so I'm going to try these other things. No, ask God for wisdom and go decisively to him because you go to God and you say, hey, God, I need you to take care of this. I'm coming to you for this. I'm throwing this at your feet. But I got all these other things going on. It's like a wave tossed to and fro by the sea. We've seen... Pictures on the TV of waves just go wherever the wind blows. Are you turning decisively to God in your trials? Why should you do that? Ask God who gives generously and without reproach. And it will be given to him. Without reproach, God's not giving it to you grudgingly. He's not saying, I guess. I mean, you don't really deserve it, but here you go, I guess. Wisdom. Generously. God, do you see what I'm up against here? God, I don't know what to do. These kids are driving me crazy. I don't know how to get to point A to point B. This... this, this people are obstinate. They won't listen to what I'm saying. God, let me give you generously wisdom. And the thing about wisdom, at least in my life, and I don't, I don't know that this is in the text, but in, in my life, I don't know that wisdom is coming out of me until like two days later. I'm like, oh, I had a really good response. I didn't know it was a good response when it was going on, but that was God working in me, and I didn't know. And man, he's generous. <laughs> I did not deserve all the grace he gave to me in that moment. Let your tests drive you decisively to God. And verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, the rich in his humiliation, like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Let the eternal things shape your perspective. See, this is kind of a weird sentence to kind of stick in here. But he's saying, hey, look, and honestly, here's here's where he's coming from. I think you'll identify with this. He starts with money. Let, let, count it all joy when you meet various trials. He says, hey, look, you're going to have problems with money. Let the poor person rejoice in his exaltation. Let the lowly brother and the rich in his humiliation. He says, we need to have an eternal perspective on the things that get spent up real quick. We constantly, like, the paychecks come week to week, month to month, whatever it is. Those things got to be spent. They're spent up quickly, and we worry about them a lot. Do we have an eternal perspective on the things that get burned up real quick? Are we looking to God and saying, how am I using these things that I have to spend, these things that you've given to me for a brief amount of time for something eternal? because it's all going to burn up anyway. If we haven't seen that, like the storm that came through in southern Florida, it didn't care how much money you had. It didn't care how much you spent on the house. It didn't care what your land was worth. It just came through and leveled everything. So do we have an eternal perspective on the things that get burned up, because life in general has a way of sifting out fakery. Like he's saying, like a lot of these things drive you to God, but he hasn't even gotten to the God stuff yet. This is just how life works. This is up front. This is the world. So let's get to the God stuff. In verse 12, he says, "Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial." For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be, t- be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, give birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good... Gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. See, life has a way of sifting fakery, God has a way of giving life. And genuine faith is rewarded with Olympic gold. Like, that's, that's the best way I can, uh, can carry this image that he says. <clears throat> For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. The crown of life, you've seen pictures of the Romans with, like, the olive crown thing on their head. Well, like, that's what they would give to Olympics, Olympians who won. Like, that was, like, their gold medal, right? But they borrowed that imagery from emperors who would go out and defeat and have, uh, like, wipe everybody out. When they came home, they'd give them that little crown, laurel crown. And he's saying, look, you stand steadfast during trials. God's giving you the Olympic gold. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a big deal. It feels like a bunch of little things. They just keep stacking up. You're like this, and that, and this, and that, like that too. Like blah, blah, blah. this is, It feels like a bunch of little things up in the eyes of God. The eternal perspective, if those things are worth Olympic gold. Blessed is the man who stands steadfast and tried. It It's just, can you hear me? Like, the stuff that you face on an hour-to-hour basis, the stuff that's driving you nuts this week, it matters to God. And he's saying, hey, hey, blessed is the one who stands steadfast. Blessed is the one who lets these trials drive them to me. Come to me. Ask me for help when you don't know what you're doing. Because the trials, because he's saying, hey, hey don't, don't think, God's not the one testing. Like God's not giving you these temptations. These temptations are coming from your sinful desires. That's why the first point wasn't like, you know, God has a way of sifting, it's life. Like, life has a way of testing things out. God's not the one testing. God is using the testing that naturally happens in the world for his eternal purposes. So don't blame God. God, why? (laughs) It's like something good happens. You get a raise. um, Something that's out of your control. I I can think of so many blessings in my own life where I didn't deserve it. I didn't ask for it. It just kind of showed up and I had this thing. And I'm like, man, God is so good. He's given me this blessing. And then it comes to trial time. And I'm like, God, why are you doing this to me? I didn't deserve this. It's like, We'll blame God for the bad stuff, but you know, we, no, oh, I'm not so bad. I can take some credit for the good stuff, right? He's saying, look, 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 look. don't blame God for your problems. God's not the cause of your problems. This is just how life works in a fallen world. We're born with the peanut butter all over our face, we're born with sin, and we can't wipe it off. We have to figure out how to deal with it. We turn to God, we ha- and we stand steadfast under trials, and he gives the crown of life. Like, Olympic gold? Like, that's pretty cool. I don't know what those guys do when they're 60. What's an Olympic medal mean when you can't even walk across the room because your knees have gone out? I don't know. But God says, look, stay steadfast in these trials, and you'll receive the crown, the gold medal of Life. God has a way of giving life and giving it abundantly. Did you see in verse 16? Don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good thing you've ever had in your life came from God coming down from the father of lights, the one who said, hey, let there be light, and it just is. With him, that guy who speaks and, and physics happens, there's no variation or shadow due to change. The same God who, who says, um, you know, let the ocean be separated from the land, and it just happens, like that God is still the one who's saying, hey, stay steadfast in try Turn to me. I will generously give you wisdom when you ask for me. He separated the dry land from the water. We really, really wanted that this week. A lot of people worked really, really hard to try and make that happen. There's a lot of sandbags that went up in Florida this week. God just said it. Separate. the same God. That's why I love the first couple chapters of Genesis. And I'm not going to get hung up there, but I'm just saying it's the same God. And all the good gifts come from him. Here's the thing verse 18, this is so important because, because this is where it turns. This is where all of the stuff where you go, oh, well, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm not doing well, these temptations are beating me up. Verse 18 is where it turns. Of his own will. What does that mean? Of his own will. What does that mean? Of his own will. He chose to do it. This is what God wanted to do. Eternal God speaks and stuff happens, physics and all of that. He says, this is what I want to do. He's going to bring us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Listen, God didn't owe you any of the faith that you have already. There are people that you know who want, like, uh, well, Pastor Ryan was talking this morning in uh, Bible Fellowship, there's people who, who think that God and Jesus is just silly nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. There's all those people that God hasn't yet shown himself to. You were there. You didn't know until God told you. God didn't owe you the knowledge and the, and the faith that you have today. Like Everything in your life that brought you to, this, to be in this place at this moment, God didn't owe you. He could have left you to your own sinful desires, never ever to hear the name of Jesus or the offer of free salvation that he gives. But because he wanted to, he brought you here this morning. I need that this week. My trials are, like, I feel like my trials are big. I feel like this temptation just won't go away. I can't escape from it. God, I'm not worthy. I'm not worth anything to you. And God says, I wanted you here. It's hard. You live in a fallen world. I get that. But I gave you grace to even ask the question, God, why are you doing this to me? To even know to turn to me to ask the question. that we should be a first fruits of his creatures. First fruits. There's a, there's a theological, there's a whole bunch of theological baggage to that word. I think the easiest way to kind of put it is, how many of you guys have ever like planted a garden, a vegetable garden, uh, or some kind of a, a tree, put a tree, I remember our neighbors behind us, they were so excited because they bought these, these uh, grapefruit trees, I think it was, and they bought them, and they put them in the ground, they took care of them, they watered them, and they just couldn't get any grapefruit off of them. They're like, oh, what are we doing wrong? Oh, we put fertilizer in. The first grapefruit that they had off that tree that they spent all that money and all that time on, they were excited to get some fruit.
0: It's
1: the first fruit. Yes, yeah, six years. It takes a long time. And when you finally get fruit off of something, when you've been through all of the pain and all the toil and all of the sweat and all the blood and all the tears of all of the things that go on in your life, you finally get a first fruit. It's like, Woo! I get something back for it. Listen, that's what God's saying about what he's doing with you. All the trials, all the testing, all the times that you stand firm, all the times that you fall down, he's working and tilling the ground and trying to grow you, and he wants you there because he wants to celebrate, I got the first fruits. The cream of the crop. God's desires lead to life. Our desires lead to death. What God wants for us is life. He's saying, I'll give it to you. I'll give you the crown of life. you're in a fallen world, this is hard. Things are going to happen. What I want for you is life. God wants to give life to those with genuine faith. So, it's a good point to ask if you have faith that Jesus is redeeming you. It's a good point to ask if you've turned to Jesus and said, I see all the sin. I see, I, no one has to explain to me all the ways I screwed up. Like, I can list that faster than anybody. But I want to turn to God and have Him redeem me for that. Have you made that? request? Have you turned to him and said, God, forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. That's the first step. It's not the last step. Let's continue on in verse 19. Know this, my brothers. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear Slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away, at once forgets what he was like, To your faith, the initial faith that you turn to God and say, God, would you save me from this sinful world? Faith has a way of breaking out. We're here this morning. We're doing the right thing. We gathered together as believers. We're reading the Bible. We're trusting Jesus for our salvation. Like, that's all good stuff. But faith, genuine faith, has a way of breaking out. It doesn't stay here, in this place, with these people. And and this is going to sound, it might, I don't know. Sometimes i read the Bible, I'm like, well, yeah, duh. Like, you can't do what you don't know. If you don't know how to do it, you can't. And you can't learn what you don't hear. If you're not willing to listen to what to do, then you're not going to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. So what is he saying? Let each of you be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I get this backwards. I hear half of a thing and then I'm mad. Like I think I know what they're going to say, and and. I think I know what they're going to say, or I think I know the situation. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not pointing any fingers. Y'all yeah, do that. But I'm just saying, I'm saying I get this backwards. I'm quick to anger, and I'm quick to give correction, and I haven't even heard what the situation is. So he's saying, this is real practical. This is probably the most practical, this is one of the most practical verses in the Bible. It applies to everything. It applies to your marriage, it applies to your kids, it applies to your co-workers, it applies to your boss, it applies to people in traffic, it applies to hurricanes, it applies to God. Be quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Sometimes I read the Bible and I'm angry that God is saying the things that he's saying to me and I haven't even heard what it is that he's saying to me. Because I'll tell you the truth, the first time I went through James chapter 1, I was mad. These are all these standards. It's all this stuff that you've got to do. It's all this faith that you've got to have in God. I don't have this kind of faith. But as I went and came back through and I listened, I listened, I listened, I realized that God wants to give life.
0: And he's paid for it. Right? Right?
1: Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I don't know if you could see because of the way the mirror was going. When I gave the kids a cloth to clean themselves, like they got up real close to the mirror so they could see what all they were getting off. I've seen my mom doing her makeup like this. She's even got like the 15X mirror to make sure she gets everything. Right? So it's like when we come to the word, Are we hearing it? Are we hearing it? Are we listening? Are we just doing the thing that we do to make the people not angry at us anymore? Are we hearing? Because you can't do what you don't know, and you can't learn what you don't hear Are your ears open. And second... Is what do you, how do you leave an interaction with the law of liberty? Now, this this is a loaded, loaded phrase. I'm gonna try to go real, real quick through this, but help you understand. The law is like, these are the expectations, these are the rules that God has, but in Jesus, they're set in the context of freedom. We as Americans love that freedom, America, liberty. And just conceptually, for us, law and liberty are opposed. Don't tell me what to do. In Jesus, I set you free so that you can do the things that are actually going to make your life better. When you come to the word, when you hear it, how do you leave that interaction? Do you forget? Because... We've got this stuff all over our face. We've got this sin. We live in a dirty world. There's stuff going on. And we come to church, and we get mad at the mirror. Why did you show me that in my life? So we just walk out. I'm not changing. i do whatever I want. I don't need God to tell me that I don't know how to live my life. Here's the thing. It's just like I told the kids. So God holds up the mirror. He says, this is the problem. And he says, Jesus is the answer. I've got the cloth to clean your face with. I'm giving it to you for free. So, how do you leave an interaction with the law of liberty? Do you look at that and go, I'm mad at that mirror for telling me that I've got stuff all over my face? Or do you say, The grace of God has brought me in with Jesus and wiped me up clean? Because you receive it as a gift. Do you see that? The one who looks into the perfect law and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. Here's the thing. All this letter was written for church people. We can, it's, it's really easy to say this is for somebody else. Is it for the non-Christians, those people who don't know Jesus, just say, hey, like, y'all need to look in the law of God and realize your sin and, and get cleaned up and let Jesus clean up with you. James is writing to whom? The 12 tribes of the dispersion. These are church people. These are people in spiritual relationship with God. He says, hey, when you look into the law of liberty, Christian, when you look at Jesus, when you see the perfection that he is, You see your imperfection, how do you leave that interaction? Do you throw yourself on the grace of God and ask for forgiveness? Hear and do lean on him for change. This is the gospel constantly being applied to believers. And lest we forget that all this church stuff doesn't matter, Genuine faith blesses the disadvantaged. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to help keep, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The, your faith will be compassion to other people. Getting stuff right with God means that you can offer a lot of grace to other people. And widows and orphans are people that don't, they're they're disadvantaged. They don't have a means to make money. They don't have a means to, advance, like culturally, and and, and the people that he's talking to right now, these are like the people who are stuck in a rut and can't get out. He's saying, hey, your faith, if it's genuine, will visit those things. But the person who is deceiving himself is the person who says, I'm helping other people and doesn't do it. If you think you're religious, you don't bridle your tongue. This is where I get in trouble. Like I, I'm really, really quick to say, I'll help. I'm helpful. I will be helpful. And then do I follow through on that? Don't deceive yourself and say that my faith on Sunday is affecting the rest of the world. Look at the law of liberty and ask yourself, am I trusting Jesus to clean me up with this? So God wants to give life to those with genuine faith. And those are people who don't know God yet, and that's life for people who do know God. A quality of life is unsurpassed. Listen, the tests that we face are bringing us to this. We cannot know that we have faith unless it has been tested. And we know the simplicity. I'll give you one more example. When a teenager goes gets their, driver, their learner's permit, when they get their driver's license, they le- they pass the test. They got the piece of paper, right? How many of us are real excited about being on the road with those guys while they're driving?
0: When you come to Jesus and said,
1: "Jesus, I trust you for salvation," you, He gives you the whole. You have all the privileges of driving. You have the license. But you don't know that you can drive until you've done it. It's messy. There are accidents. There's fender benders. There's stuff to deal with. So I have a couple of things written down, but I just want to remind us that you, your trials... God wants to work with you through those. Look at the people next to you. Those people also have trials. Those people are also, their faith is also being tested. Are we a community that can, hold, that can embrace each other and say, you're following Jesus, you still got a bunch of peanut butter all over your face? But you, but God's given you the rag, and 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 you're leaning in, and you're trying to get it cleaned up. And here, let me help you. That's why we observe foot washing as a body. Like that's the thing. Like, let me help you in your faith. So, as a church body, are we embracing one another as we seek to follow God? As people that are lights in this community, are we saying that hey, God wants to give? Life to you as he's testing your faith. Because the tests are here. The tests are coming. The tests are happening this very minute. And as soon as you start talking about them, they come up more and more. What are you hearing? What are you doing? How are you living? So we're going to take a few minutes and just reflect on how God is speaking this morning. I want to invite you to use your connection card to write that down. This is, this is it, man. We've looked at the law of liberty. We've come in contact with God and his word. And if I don't write something down, I, I forget. That's why we encourage you to write what God is doing in this hour on a piece of paper, whether you choose to share that with us so that we can pray with you or whether you take that home with you so that you can remember what God did this morning. Don't turn away and forget what you look like.
0: Thanks again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala, or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.